Katie Lane with WorkMadeForHire.net, and this is the Inspiration Plays podcast with Miriam Schulman. Today's episode is sponsored by The Writer's Sketch. The Writer's Sketch is a poetry collection by Ronald Schulman, which is being released on Amazon on August 13th and also includes my artwork. Everyone who orders it will also get the free audiobook version of the book. This episode is also sponsored by the Unlocking Your Style program. It's the Inspiration Place podcast with artist Miriam Shulman. Welcome to the Inspiration Place podcast, an art world insider podcast for artists by an artist, where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art. And now, your host, Miriam Shulman. Well, hello, this is your host, artist Miriam Shulman, and you're listening to episode number 44 of the Inspiration Place podcast. I am so thrilled that you're here. Today, we're talking all about contracts, specifically how to protect your art from copycats and freeloaders. So in this episode, you'll discover what's the first thing you need to do when someone asks you permission to use your art, what to do if you discover someone has used your art without your permission, and what to do if you've already signed a contract with some ugly payment terms. To help me out, I've invited a contract attorney and negotiation coach who works with artists and freelancers to help them protect their rights and get paid fairly for the work they do. Based in Portland, Oregon, she helps her clients successfully handle all sorts of sticky conflicts and shares negotiation and legal info for creative professionals on her blog at workmadeforhire.net and in online classes on Skillshare. Her favorite thing is teaching people who are intimidated by negotiation how to get what they want with confidence and calm. Please welcome to the Inspiration Place, Katie Lane. Hello, Katie. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, the reason I invited you, Katie, is because my artist friends and I are always talking about being ripped off on Etsy. Well, some of my friends are still talking about it. I'm kind of sick of hearing about it. I just <laughs> <laughs> it is it is one of the most popular, unpopular conversations that artists tend to have. Yes. Also China is the other one too. <laughs> China and Etsy. But also the less blatant ones where people just think because they found your art on Pinterest that it's free to use. It's on the internet, right? Like, so they can use it for whatever they want. Yeah, she, she's joking, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am absolutely 110% joking. Yeah. And also, even some people who are familiar with art, they are confused about what is available to use, what's not available to use. So recently, I had somebody contact me through mm-hmm. Instagram, like this is real official channels, saying that they they saw my painting of a cafe in Scarsdale, where I live, and mm-hmm. it would look so great on the new cover of the menu that they're designing for their front. They have an opportunity for you where you can get exposure? 
No, they didn't say that. I was waiting for them to say that because my next thing I said was, because that's usually what they say, right? No, the next thing I said was, well, do you have a budget for purchasing the rights to that? And then nothing. Yeah. But yeah, usually what I get is, no, we don't have a budget for that, but we'll give you exposure. Right. I think art is one of the few professions where for whatever reason, people think that you're doing it for appreciation, their appreciation. So if they like it, that should be enough for you. Or they think that you're doing it because it's really fun. And so the fun that you get from doing it is just as good as having cash to pay your bills. It's a really weird thing. I haven't seen that approach in a lot of other careers, but with creative careers, for whatever reason, people don't always get that when you when you use a thing or when you acquire a thing, you have to pay money dollars for that benefit. My artist friends and I like to joke that next time our plumber comes, we'll offer to hang a sign over the toilet. <laughs> we can't pay him. We don't have a budget, but we'll let everyone knows who uses my toilet that they fixed it. Totally. Right. I have friends over at least two or three times a week, a party once a month. So the exposure is going to be it's really, be really amazing. good. We can even put your website above the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you will get so much business that way. So much exposure. <laughs> but, but you know what? What I found is that one of the few times I've done it is that free exposure just leads to more opportunities to give your art away for free. It's true. You're setting up that expectation, right? Like that your art can be used for free or that your art should be used for free or exposure is enough of a compensation for you to be willing to do it. I think there are times where an opportunity presents itself where you may be willing to agree to less than your normal rate or a different structure for payment, but it's because you see the value in that opportunity, not because somebody else is selling you on the value of their opportunity. It's, it's very different when you're intentional and you say, oh, getting to work with this person or getting to be on this platform is something that I've been wanting to do for a while. So I'm going to take advantage of the opportunity to do that as opposed to like you probably weren't sitting around thinking about how great it would be to be able to use your painting on a restaurant that you currently don't go to and probably won't. Let's just be clear. The reason I have a painting of this restaurant is because a woman commissioned me to paint it as a gift to her husband because he eats there. Like it's the outside of this diner that he eats lunch at every day. So she said this would make a great gift for him. So it's like, okay, we'll do that. We're not going to yeah. get him golf clubs this year. He's going to get a painting. <laughs> Much more practical, I think, the painting than the golf clubs. Golf clubs only going to make you mad. Painting's always going to make you happy. Right. And the golf clubs are going to keep him away from home and the painting decorates his home office. So that's another win-win for wife. So (laughs) one of the things that creators need to consider when, when they're looking at opportunities is, is this an opportunity that I actually want that I have been thinking about pursuing that I am interested in, or is this somebody trying to sell me on the value of the opportunity? Because if it's somebody trying to sell me, then it's perfectly fine to say no. But if it's something that I actually want that is originating with me, 
then that is worth asking more questions about. Maybe it's not worth doing ultimately, but it's at least worth asking more questions and seeing if it's going to be a good fit for you. Of course, all that said, Katie's not being paid to be here today. She's doing this for free exposure. (laughs) Yes, I'm doing this for free exposure, which uh, is my favorite way of getting paid. No. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't legal advice, obviously. It's legal education. We're going to use a couple probably different examples to help explain these concepts because I think they're difficult, but with the right example, they're easier to understand. So as long as your listeners understand that I am not their lawyer by virtue of being in their ears at this moment in time, we're good. That's right. And she's not my lawyer either. (laughs) But she does have classes on Skillshare, which will help you with some of the things we're talking about. All right. So let's just pretend now that said restaurant, which will not be named, let's just pretend I go there for lunch one day. Oh my God, that's my painting on the menu. They just used it anyway. What WTF? Now what do I do? I don't know what you would initially do. I would get very angry and upset and probably would not have lunch okay, there. Okay, but I manage um, my mind very well. So what should I do? Good, right, you, don't, good, good. you just don't want to eat lunch. You would just walk out. <laughs> I'm not eating lunch here today. <laughs> I think one of the first things that you should do is you should take a picture of the menu so that you have evidence oh, good that idea. they were using your painting without your permission so that you can actually show how they were using it and where you found it. And a picture's nice with your phone because your phone is automatically going to capture information about date and time, and and that can be useful as well. The next thing that I would do is that I would want to speak with the manager, and I would inform them, this is my painting. I have not given permission to use this painting. You need to remove it from your menu, or you need to license it from me. People have different opinions about whether or not you want to license work to somebody who has already used your work without your permission. Some folks look at it as an opportunity to get money from the situation. That's more attractive to them. Other people have a general policy where they don't license their work to people who have already used it without permission. Already abused it. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. You don't get to use my art. Yeah. well, And that person has already shown you to a certain extent. They're not very transparent. They're not very communicative, right? Like they didn't take the time to just send you a line and say, I would like to use this. What are your licensing terms? Right. So maybe they're not the, the best person to do business with. But I would talk to the manager and I would say, this is mine. I need you to stop using it. And I need you to stop using it today see what they say. In a good situation, they're going to say, yes, of course, so sorry, it was a mistake or whatever. And they'll remove it and start using something else. If they don't react in that way, then I think you need to decide how you want to escalate the situation. Do you want to keep handling it on your own? Or do you want someone else to handle it for you? And part of that depends on budget and time availability, right? Not all of us have a lot of time that we can commit to people who are using our work without permission. But one of the things I I try to let people know is that there is not one right response. There are a lot of different responses. And the right response is the one that feels best for you and your work and your goals. So 
if you want to pursue it, which I think it would be worthwhile to do. Just to be clear, we don't know that they used it illegally. That was just a right. hypothetical. Totally a hypothetical. This is a hypothetical restaurant doing a hypothetical But I do want to unpack a few of the things that you said to make this more general. Sure. So first of all, Katie mentioned that I should take a picture. When I've had friends have situations where they've seen things online where their art has been used inappropriately without permission, they do take screenshots right away and save it so that they have proof that these things have happened. I gave a very specific example of art being produced on a menu, but some very common situations that people may not realize that I know my friends that these have happened to are those pain and sip parties. Where, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm glad you reacted that way. Yeah, we, I have heard we, of that. Us wow. artists do not like those pain and sit parties. People are always saying, though, don't you love those pain and sit parties? I was like, no, I don't. No, so let's talk about that for people who don't know why we're upset about pain and sip. There are many ways in which one might paint and sip, and one of the best ways would be to do it with your original painting, right? Like you have a photograph that you took and you want to paint that, but. One of the ways people host the parties is they will take a pre-existing artwork and everybody is essentially That's not there. Let's make that clear. Yeah, yeah. They liked online or it was something that they that they ran into in, a, in an art book or something. And so everybody will copy that painting as their painting for their paint and sip party. That creates problems. That's technically copyright infringement, by the way, because a copyright owner has the right to dictate who may copy their work. Somebody hand copying a work can be considered what's called a derivative work, which it is. it derives from the original. It is not an exact copy, but it is based on the original. So technically when somebody does that, that is copyright infringement. It, they don't have to make money off of it for it to be copyright infringement. That's right, because even if they're doing it for their Girl Scout troop... <laughs> or for free in their church basement or whatever the situation is, that's still not cool. Well, and part of why it's not cool, and I don't think people really get this because they'll say, well, like you're not losing any money, right? But what's happening is you're not getting to control how your artwork is used. And somebody might see the copy and think, wow, that's a really bad version. I wonder what happened to the artist, like if they had... They ran into trouble, but when I've seen her work in the past, it's really good. So one of the things that it can do is it can create problems for reputation. The thing that I always tell people is your original ideas are so much more interesting than the ones you copy. People can feel really intimidated about creativity and and being creative. And so there's nothing wrong with looking at a lot of examples and taking bits and pieces from those examples to help you learn. I mean, that is how we learn to do things. Austin Kleon has a, a great book called Steal Like an Artist, where he talks about how your borrowing really has to be additive and you're not taking entirely and claiming something as your own. So copying bits and pieces to learn craft is one thing, but copying an entire thing because that's what you wanted to do on Tuesday night is an entirely different matter. So my friends who have had this problem, some of them have actually negotiated successfully with the pain and sip establishments to get paid 
royalties mm-hmm. for, and I don't know what the terms are, but they do get paid for that establishment to have the rights to use their paintings as the class demonstration. And I think that's perfectly reasonable. Right. So as an artist, you get to decide whether you want your art to be used in that manner and you get compensated for it, or you can choose that you don't want your art used in that manner. Absolutely. As the artist and the the copyright owner, that is your right. 99% of situations when a painter paints a painting or a creator creates a work of art for themselves that's not commissioned, they're going to own the copyright to it and they're going to own the copyright to it automatically. There are cases where the creator isn't the owner of the copyright, but they're relatively rare. They come up in two situations. One is you're an employee doing work for your employer and your employer owns your work product, which, you know, makes sense. The other situation is you have a written agreement that's signed by both parties and it says explicitly that the work you're creating is a work made for hire which is a term of art from the Copyright Act. When a work is a work made for hire, what it means is the person commissioning the artwork is the owner of the copyright from the very beginning when the the thing is created. So an example of that, and you'll, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but the example of that is let's fantasize that the New Yorker has just contacted me and said, Miriam, we love your art and we would like you to do June's cover and would you paint a watercolor painting that shows I don't want to say anything too political or explosive but yeah we want you to paint this political scene for us in your watercolor style so they might give you a contract that is a work made for hire contract and that contract will say what it is you're doing for them um, how much they're going to pay you and it's going to say specifically in the contract that they are the owner of the copyright and that the work is a work made for hire. Okay, now let me ask you about that. Okay, if I Mm -hmm. start selling my, and this is something that came up recently with a friend of mine who's getting more into art licensing and, and selling the rights to her art. So let's say we sell either it's a work for hire where they have the copyright or we're selling the rights to an artwork, okay? Mm -hmm. And what they're actually getting from us is a deliverable is a high-resolution JPEG of the artwork, right? We still mm-hmm. have the right to sell the original painting, right? Probably, because uh, <laughs> the physical object yes. is different from a copyright. And so there's, there's something in copyright law called the first sale doctrine, which basically says you can sell the physical thing without infringing copyright. Perfect. You can't make copies of the original thing and sell those copies, Right? Okay. But you can sell the physical object. The only time you wouldn't be able to do that is if the contract you signed specifically said you're not allowed to sell the physical art. Again, that would have to be in the contract and something that you agree to. The default under the Copyright Act is that you can sell the physical artwork without infringing copyright. Since today we're talking all about not having other people rip you off, I thought it would be super important to make sure you're not doing the same by accidentally copying somebody else's signature style. It's so important to develop your own. And I know this uncovering of your style is really difficult to discover what's already there buried deep inside. 
everyone already has their unique style. They just don't always know what it is yet because most of us have spent our entire lives putting ourselves on the back burner, which means we haven't spent any time uncovering any part of ourselves, let alone our own painting style or developing our own voice as an artist. Now, if you're a regular listener, you know I don't talk a lot about specific art classes on here, but I really thought that this ebook, the Unlocking Your Style ebook program, would help you if you need to uncover your signature style. It includes some really great exercises in it to help you loosen up and lean into your own personal style. I think it complements today's episode perfectly. To grab it, you can go to shulmanart.com forward slash stylebook or just check out today's show notes. All right, back to today's show. You talk about in your Skillshare class, ugly payment terms. I think now is probably a good time to discuss ugly terms and ugly payment terms. What would be, I, I know we can't give an exhaustive list of those examples, but maybe the top three that you see come up that we should uncover here. With ugly terms, they are terms that are getting in the way of your goal for the project. So an example of an ugly payment term is that they have 45 days to pay you after you've given them the final piece of artwork. Mm. And that's ugly because they have what they wanted to get out of the situation and you don't. And you have to wait a pretty darn long period of time in order to get what you wanted to get out of the situation. In that sort of situation, I want something, a contract term that says you're going to get paid either before delivery happens or at the same time of delivery or very close in time because that's fair, right? Like they're getting what they want. You should be getting what you want. So that's an example of what I would consider an ugly payment term. Okay. Sometimes you'll see like if you're working with a corporation and doing like a commission for them, you will see very particular payment terms about like if there's a dispute, they get to withhold money. They don't have to pay you for things that they don't like. And a lot of those payment terms come from situations that are totally different from the art world and totally different from creative work, right? Okay. They're, they're coming from a situation where you can look and objectively say, this building didn't meet the specifications. Right. It or it fell down. It, it, it does not work. It <laughs> right. does not do its job. My toilet um, doesn't flush. We're taking down your website. Exactly. You, di- you didn't flush my, <laughs> you didn't fix the flush. Those are places where the work is, is tangible and it's really easy to determine whether or not the work met the goal that's stated in the contract. There's an objective standard there. Well, art, as we all know, is subjective. Mm. And you never want to be in a situation as an artist where payment is dependent on whether or not they liked it. Right. You're not selling them liking a thing. Right. You are selling them the artwork and they have a responsibility as your client to be communicative with you. And as you're going through the process, tell you what they like and what they don't like. They also have a responsibility as the client to understand what they're doing, which is hiring an artist to create something. So they're, they're not going to have total control over it. Let me back up a little bit and share an example that might be more common for the artists who, who follow me, who, who are in my audience. So mm-hmm. one example of this would be if you're doing commissioned portraits 
And I know a lot of you have started doing commissioned dog portraits. You know, you showed a painting of your dog and then your friend wanted it and now you're doing portraits. Get a contract, by the way. You don't necessarily have to hire a, a lawyer for this. But one thing that I always would say to them when people would commission me is my assumption when you hire me is that you've looked at my art and you like my style and that the totally. art I produce is going to be in the same style. So, you know, don't come back to me and say, why doesn't this look like Rembrandt? <laughs> you know, not that, not that that happens, but what does happen is they do tend to get nervous during the commission process, which is why I also like to keep their risk low. You know, if, if it's mm-hmm. something online where it's a dog porch, I usually take the payment all up front. But if it's a, a $5,000 family portrait, I will take a deposit for the photo shoot portion. And then I will take a second deposit after they've seen my drawings. And then the totally. final remainder is... So that way, there are certain places where actually both parties can exit because you may not want to complete the project for them either. So you need to have like these both exit strategies so the client feels comfortable, is involved to some extent, not telling you what (laughs) colors to use. Right. Right. But involved in some extent, so they it just makes them more comfortable during the process. So Katie, do you have thoughts on what I just shared? Absolutely. I agree with you. There are ways of structuring it that allow the client to feel a little bit more comfortable. And one of the things I always remind creators of is the people who are hiring you to work don't actually understand what you do. Mm. They kind of understand what you make, but they don't know how you do it. You are the expert at what you do. And so one of the roles that you have to fulfill as an expert is letting them know what the process is going to be like yes. for them and setting standards. Yes. So... And that's exactly what you're talking about, right? Like it's making sure from the very beginning, they understand certain things about what this process is going to look like. And sometimes artists are really intimidated to, to do that, to take on that role of expert, but you're not doing yourself any favors by deferring to the client in all matters because they don't know how to get a painting made. They don't understand your process. Firm boundaries with your clients. But first of all, the contract, it doesn't turn people off when you say, this is the stages, these are the payments. What happens is it really makes them more comfortable. And it Absolutely. Ha- especially when you are in the conversation stage where you haven't taken any money yet, and you're trying to close the deal on that. Nobody wants to hear that they're going to hand you $5,000. And three months later, you come back with surprise, this is what I did. So they like to know what's happening all along. And that's actually part of the fun for them. Doesn't mean like every time you put a layer of paint on, you're showing it to them. But like I said, there's specific boundaries and it makes them feel safe as well as protects you. Absolutely. And just like they don't know how you create your artwork, one of the things that I notice clients do is because they don't actually understand how it's going to work, they get scared and they'll start to try to enforce weird expectations like bad payment terms. They're not actually trying to hurt you. They're trying to protect themselves and they're trying to protect themselves because they don't understand or have a full picture of what's going on. So they're worried about being taken advantage of. 
So by providing that contract and by providing the expectations up front, what you're doing is you're setting them at ease. Yes. You're giving them some guidelines. You're giving, you're helping them understand what they can expect. And as a result, they're going to be more likely to agree to terms that are beneficial to both of you, terms that support the process rather than work against it. And since we have a lawyer here, so my, like I said, my contract for portrait commissions was not written by a lawyer. It's basically just outlines the payment terms, but other situations where I have used a legal Mm -hmm. contract, I bet Katie is my only guest who's actually read the contract that I make all my guests sign for being on the podcast. Is that right? I did in fact read it. (laughs) I bet you're the only one. So I actually have a contract that every guest has to acknowledge that I own the copyright to this podcast. When I've done licensing agreements, I have used a lawyer either to review the contract that was given to me if they were initiated by somebody who had their own contract. And usually they they do have their own contracts. Do you agree with that? I agree. Yeah. If people are interested in licensing your work and they are a professional, so they've, they've licensed their work before, they're going to have an agreement that they want you to sign. And it's easier if you take that to an attorney to review rather than try to give them a replacement contract. Yes. Except when I did it, my daughter's friend friend mother who is a copyright attorney reviewed it but she's a new york attorney so that was very expensive (laughs) to saying (laughs) i imagine it was Uh, and and she redlined it so much that the deal just didn't even go through which is fine it was was a bad contract that happens licensing deals can be very particular the terms and how what the wording is can be particular so it can be worth it to work with a professional but the things i tell people to look out for primarily are is the license exclusive or non-exclusive because exclusive means only the person you're giving the license to can use the artwork in that particular way an exclusive license is okay as long as you can agree to the terms they're okay to you and you're getting paid appropriately, right? Right. Like an exclusive license is more valuable than a non-exclusive license. So exclusive or non-exclusive, you want to see how long it lasts. In general, you don't want to license your work to somebody forever and ever. Amen. If you've never met them before. And then you want to see what the boundaries of the license are. So things like, can they use it anywhere on everything? Or can they only use it on uh, coffee mugs and they can only use it for the next two years? Also to look for, it's a category license. So Mm. you might be licensing it exclusively, but only to the home decor market or only to the paper goods market. Or they may want a complete license because you have this pattern and they don't want to see it on the fabric and on wrapping paper. So you can imagine that if Ralph Lauren is purchasing, let's say your floral artwork, he does maybe he doesn't want to see that on a coffee mug. He wants it only on the Ralph Lauren <laughs> bedding because it's going to cheapen it if suddenly now you walk into Target and it's on a dress. Absolutely. And in a situation like that, right, the licensor, uh, Ralph Lauren, is going to pay for the privilege because yes. they're paying for the privilege to license it to use it on something, but they're also wanting you to not use it in any other way. And that has a value as well because it, it limits you from how you can use the artwork. So remember that what you're paid under a license should represent the total value of the license 
to the person who is licensing the work from you. It's not just about sales. It's also about the other benefits that they're getting, like exclusivity or how long the license lasts. And just to give people an idea of what these things go for. So somebody who's who's selling an art to giving them the full rights is usually about $1,000. And if it's a category rights, it's less. And I believe the number for that is $800 for a category. But then the numbers do change. So home decor is more valuable than the paper mm-hmm. goods market. Yeah, absolutely. And oftentimes with licenses, it's going to depend on who's licensing it from you, right? So what are they going to be using it on? How much of it are they going to be able to sell? Or how much of it are they planning on selling? So they might give you a payment upfront, but they might also give you royalties, which is a percentage that they are making from those sales. Or they might do both. And when they do both, the amount that they're paying you upfront is called an advance. And that basically means that sales have to earn enough in royalties for you to cover that advance before you receive a royalty check. So if I had an advance of $500, the royalties would have to equal $500 before I would see another royalty check. This is all very valuable information, Katie. Is all that you're talking about covered in your Skillshare classes that you offer? A lot of what we've been talking about has been covered in our Skillshare classes. I'm working on a couple other classes right now to sort of fill in the blanks and and answer some more questions. And I have definitely been toying with the idea of doing one specifically on licensing. So that would be very valuable for my listeners. So you can always circle back here and we'll add that to the show notes. Okay, so tell us which classes you do have available right now. So right now I have three classes that are all under the title Contracts for Creative Freelancers. In one of them, I talk about how to read and negotiate a contract. How do you mark it up? How do you how do you determine if it's good or gobbledygook? And I try to do this all in pretty plain language. There's no reason why you should have to become a lawyer to be able to basically protect yourself and deal with your own business. There's also a class on work made for hire. We go into the details of that. And then a class on payment terms. So specifically those terms around payment, how do you negotiate them? How do you determine if the terms you're being offered are a good fit for the type of work you're going to do? If you're a Skillshare member, um, you can watch them as many times as you want over and over and over again. That's great. Okay. Do you have anything else to add to this episode before we call it complete, Katie? I am working on a book project right now and I'm really bad at finishing projects. So what I'm asking people to do is to sign up for a mailing list where I have to deliver a chapter on a regular basis to the mailing list. And the book is all about how your skills as a creative person can translate into negotiating. I actually think that creative people are particularly well-situated to be good negotiators because they understand things like narrative and they deal a lot with empathy and vulnerability. And those are all skills that are fundamental to being a good negotiator. People in business have a really hard time learning them. Mm. So I want to show creative people how they can use those skills to their benefit as negotiators when they have to negotiate for themselves. So what I would ask your your listeners to do is go to actuallygreat.biz, actuallygreat.biz, and just sign up for the mailing list there and help keep me 
on track to finish this because it's a project I've been I've been talking about and toying with for a really long time and I need to do it. It needs to be out there in the world. And I am not too proud to say that I need help making sure that I get it finished. You need an accountability buddy. Yeah, I need an accountability buddy that happens to be lots and lots of different creators who are curious about negotiating. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with us today. This has been so helpful. So the link to that will be in the show notes, shulmanart.com forward slash 44. And also Katie's link, workmadeforhire.net, as well as any of her social media links. So you can give her a shout out, tell her how much you enjoyed the show. Go find her. But we will have all the links in the show notes, shulmanart.com. All the places. All the places. All of the internets. All the internets, the many universes. That's right. Okay. (laughs) All right, so that's it for this episode. Now, as we wrap up, I just want to remind you to subscribe because here's what's coming up in the next few weeks. We have Sketchbook School founder, Danny Gregory. He has his book, Art Before Breakfast, and it's going to be a real interesting conversation. Lisa Congdon is coming on to the show in sync with her new book coming out, Find Your Artistic Voice. In the past, we've had other authors like Austin Cleon. You can go look up that episode. That will also be in the show notes, shulmanart.com forward slash 44. So I want you to subscribe so you won't miss anything. And if you're feeling extra loving, go ahead and leave a five-star review on iTunes. That's always nice. And if you put your Instagram handle in the review, I will shout you out on my Instagram story. And if you're really feeling extra loving, share this episode with a friend. Tell them how much you like the podcast because then you're not just doing me a favor, you're doing your friend a favor. Okay, that's it. Thanks so much for being with me here today. I will see you same time, same place next week. Make it a great one. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart, on Instagram at shulmanart, and of course on shulmanart.com. Don't forget to grab your style book, Uncovering Your Signature Style Program at shulmanart.com forward slash style book. Check out more details at shulmanart.com forward slash 44.